you're listening to the Dietitian Cafe brought to you by New Outro, where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. My name is Harriet Smith, and I'm a registered dietitian and founder of HRS Communications. The Dietitian Cafe is a podcast for healthcare professionals to learn from and expand their horizons within the world of nutrition and dietetics. Each episode, we meet a wide variety of healthcare professionals on the pod and discuss many areas of nutrition, from studying to academia, clinical to industry, to the NHS and freelancing. I'm delighted to be joined by Luke White on today's episode. Luke is a specialist HIV dietitian working at the food chain charity and a membership officer for the dietitians in the HIV specialist BDA group. After previously working in microbiology, horticulture and construction, Luke retrained in dietetics as a mature student. While studying, he volunteered at the food chain. So when a job vacancy came up shortly after he graduated, Luke jumped at the opportunity. The Food Chain, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, is a charity designed to help people living with HIV in London access the nutrition that they need to live healthy and independent lives. They do this by delivering meals, offering cookery classes and delivering tailored nutrition support to those living with HIV. So to mark World AIDS Day, which is the 1st of December this year, in this episode, I'm going to be chatting to Luke about the role of a dietitian in the provision of nutrition care for HIV patients. We're also going to talk about the great work that the food chain is doing to support people living with HIV and what the biggest barriers are to accessing good nutrition within this patient group. So without further ado, it's my great pleasure to welcome you, Luke, to the podcast. First of all, thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, Harriet. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me along. It's good to be here. So as you know, Luke, before we delve into our big topics for discussion, we always like to ask our guests a few quick fire questions so that we get to know you a bit better. So my first question to you is tell us about a book that you're currently reading. So, yes, yeah, so I, I tend to start many books at once, but one I'm currently enjoying is Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. Um, you may have read it. Um, yeah, just going through Homo sapiens from start to finish, um, how things come about. Really interesting going through the agricultural revolution and, and the impact that that had. Uh, yeah, currently learning, learning about the empires and everything. Very interesting. Loving it. I've heard good things about sapiens. Um, are you one for cookery books or nutrition books, or do you feel like you've had enough of that in the day job and you need to switch off in the evenings? No, I do quite a lot. Um, recently got uh, Priya Dash Diet book. Um, that's really good just to have it in a comprehensive um, book. And actually we've bought lots for our service users as well, just to, to help with the hypertension. Brilliant. So next question to you, Luke, is what is your favourite way to unwind outside of work? I'd say probably just getting outdoors. I'm uh, easily pleased. Um, went for a run this morning, absolutely gorgeous morning, getting out in the sunrise, sunshine, listening to the birds or loads of parakeets on the, on the marshes. Yeah, just being in nature, being outdoors, doing some gardening, helping friends on an allotment or foraging in the woods. <laughs> I can see you've got the sun streaming through your window there, although it's pretty cold at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, that Winter makes it lovely, day. kind of the crisp mornings. Final, final question to you, Luke, is in, in one word, how would you describe yourself? This is a 
difficult one. But uh, I, I guess I'll just go on what other people say about my uh, being a being a good listener. I guess so. Empathy might be might be my word. Empathetic, being a good listener. That yeah. I think really helps with my with my job. I was going to say, I imagine that's a really important skill working um, in the role that you work in, and hopefully you can tell us a bit more about that during this episode. So, Luke, I'm really curious to hear how have you ended up in dietetics, given that you've got such a varied background in horticulture and microbiology and construction. What what sparked this change to dietetics? I think I always had a desire to be in healthcare and yeah just researching and looking at the the options and having a love of nutrition and people and um yeah and thinking about health and and healthcare it just jumped out at me as the uh, as the best best opportunity and provides the best opportunities and i've loved it ever since yeah i retrained as a as a mature student at the university of hertfordshire um, shout out to the lecturers there, Angela Madden, Linda Knowles, Jane McClinchy. Um, yeah, I love the way they, they teach there. Oh, lots of dietitians might say that about their lecturers, but we just a very personal touch. And uh, yeah, lots of very re- rewarding learning and lots of great placements there. And actually, uh, Brian Power, one of your previous guest was one of my lecturers on behavior change which was uh yeah a bit of a treat brian's brilliant and as you mentioned he was one of our first guests on the dietitian cafe so um yeah always good to hear hear about brian's research so was it apparent to you during your studying that hiv was an area that you wanted to specialize in how did you come to making that decision so, yes, I started volunteering, I think, at the start of my second year of studying, volunteering at the food chain. Uh, lots of volunteer roles, so uh, volunteering in the kitchen, preparing meals for the eating together, communal meals on a Wednesday and Saturday. Uh, Pre-COVID, things were a little bit different, gradually getting back to um, full service. But, yeah, hosting, meeting service users, meeting other wonderful volunteers and the staff team, helping to prepare the meals, chat to chat to people, uh, as well as doing lots of the fundraising events, going out, bucket shaking and uh, doing different fun events. And then, yeah, I guess um, waitering as well at fundraising dinners. So have the privilege of having lots of Great connections in the um, with chefs and in the catering industry, coming in doing lovely prepared meals for for our fundraising dinners, and then those are those are wonderful events. I think now is probably an appropriate time for me to ask you to tell our listeners a bit more about the food chain charity. I know lots of dietitians will be familiar with it already, but. Can you tell us a bit more about what their missions and values are as a charity? So, yeah, our slogan is leading the fight against HIV. Um, but, yeah, the, the mission is to help people to live healthy, independent 
lives living with HIV without some of the barriers to care that people um, might experience um, because of their health condition or because of the stigmas related to the condition. And yeah, lots of it is around isolation as well. People isolate themselves because of those stigmas and the impact on mental health. So providing those communal meals, um, cookery classes to, to give more independence around nutrition. And then in crisis, we provide the, uh, the groceries as well and the tailored nutrition support. And can you tell us why it's so important that nutrition is really at the core of um, helping patients living with HIV? Why, why is it so important for this patient group? So people living with HIV do have slightly increased risk of things like type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, um, weight gain, kind of umbrellaed into um, metabolic syndrome, and then also impact on bone health. People have higher rates of osteoporosis, arthritis, and earlier onset frailty, which we're only just starting to see because it, obviously it's quite a young condition at 40 years. So now we're starting to get more people living with HIV in older ages, that earlier onset frailty. And there's been some really good recent studies coming out of um, the Royal Free in London with Tristan Barber's team looking at that impact and how to, how to help with it. So from a, a dietitian's perspective, what are the main dietetic aims when you're you're working with a patient living with HIV? I appreciate it will be different for each patient, but but what's your role as a dietitian? So we yeah, we do a regular dietetic assessment with everyone that's referred to us. We get referrals coming in predominantly from NHS clinics in London. We work within the M25. Um we go through the a to E with, with quite a focus on E because of our service user group. Um, but then with the nutrition interventions, like I said, managing those long-term conditions, those extra risk of comorbidities. Uh, one in three people living with HIV have one long-term condition, one other comorbidity, and half the people have two or more. So we're, yeah, always trying to help with those. So individualised, whether it's diabetes, we have lots of people with renal failure, liver failure, um, yeah, cardiovascular risk, atherosclerosis, and going through that, that process with them, helping with a tailored recipe. And we have that that extra level of input because whilst after we've done that assessment and, and been through everything, we go through a grocery delivery with them. So not only can we give the advice, we can literally provide the, the right food at the time whilst talking through the, the benefits. So we get, we get a good level of engagement for that reason. Now, that really hands-on approach to patient care, for example, you mentioned you actually go to a supermarket and help them to make 
suitable um, dietary choices. Do you think that the care given, nutritional care given to HIV patients has progressed since you've been a dietitian, or has it has it always been like this? I think we've got an amazing uh, group of professionals in the HIV sector and and HIV dietitians across the across the country. Um, and I, I guess yeah, there, there's lots of focus on those those impacts around metabolic syndrome. But then some of that is also coming from from the virus itself and that impacts on the on the body. So I think yeah, people have always been aware of of the impacts. Thankfully, the impacts from the medications aren't as bad as they as they used to be. But we're we're developing, and it's a it's a great team to work with. No, it sounds fantastic, the, the great work you're doing at the food chain. Um, now, you mentioned the effects of certain medications on the body. Um, I know antiretroviral medications perhaps come to mind when we think of this patient group. Can you tell us a bit more about the impact, if any, that these types of medications tend to have on um, people's health and particularly their ability to metabolise certain foods, for example? Yeah, so we can't we can't blame it all on the on the medication. So HIV itself does have an impact on uh, metabolism. So uh, adipose tissue tends to be a kind of holding place for for HIV virus. So it's having an impact on the gene expression of the adipose tissue, as well as HIV causing some mitochondrial dysfunction. Um, and then the inflammation, kind of the cytokine storm of inflammation within the body, having an in- impact on insulin resistance. But then, as you say, the antiretroviral medications do some combinations of antiretroviral medications exacerbate some of those problems, further exacerbating the mitochondrial dysfunction, um, further exacerbating the, the problems with the the fat metabolism, dyslipidemia, lipodystrophy being quite common in what we're dealing with. Lipodystrophy, not so much compared to the older medications, like I said. Um, But yeah, also with antiretrovirals, doing things like lowering uh, the hormone leptin levels. So then you're um, causing... Less, less metabolism, making people still feel hungry, um, and as well as interfering with insulin resistance, interfering with the or inhibiting the, the GLUT4 uh, receptor, glucose transporter in cells. So there's lots going on with the predominantly with the lipids and, and glucose metabolism. Yes, very interesting, I imagine, from a biochemical um, perspective. In terms of nutritional deficiencies, do you see any particular deficiencies within this patient group? Good question. Uh, I I think our most common deficiency is probably vitamin D, Mm. but then then we're working with a high high caseload of Black African, Black Caribbean um, service users, so... Yeah, probably unrelated to to HIV itself, or just people needing to get out in the sun, having been locked up during COVID. Um, 
yeah, I think that's probably what we see the most. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. And do you tend to recommend a, a higher dose supplement to your patient group for vitamin D? Yeah, um, if if needed, but then obviously food first if we if we can. But if there's a deficiency, yeah, supplements would be recommended. In terms of the impact that your nutritional care is having on your patient group, does it, um, for example, impact on their prognosis, their quality of life? Do you have any outcome data or any research that you can perhaps talk us through? Yeah. So as in HIV, prognosis for 95% of the population is a normal, healthy, healthy life, same life expectancy if not better, because people are getting six-month six checkups. So things are picked up quite quickly. And But then there's there's more vulnerable group that maybe aren't able to take medications or their social circumstances limit their access or ability to take medications, or it's just not their priority because there's so much going on. Um, and then if people are not diagnosed or late, late diagnosis or uh, non-medications, then it's kind of key that we're supporting that, people with a low immune system, low CD4, high viral load. We, yeah, we go into food and water safety advice, um, kind of like the neutropenic diet, but at the same time, thinking about the evidence and whether we're just doing that for historic reasons. Like I know the neutropenic diet is being being looked at or questioned in a way. And there's recent studies showing that actually probiotics having a having a positive impact on CD4 can. So we we do the opposite. We avoid anything with live cultures to avoid opportunistic opportunistic infection. Whereas there's potential for the introduction of probiotics and improvements there um so that's yeah people at the start of their care or or needing to re-engage with medications um and then the longer longer term management is around that uh, metabolic syndrome so having regular checkups the, the key risk to score for cardiovascular um, disease or implications um yeah regular hba1c tests uh, as well as dexa scans for bone health so i mentioned the frailty earlier and the impact on on people's bones people have a dexa scan every six months to a year to uh just to check bone density so as it from a nutrition point we're, we're constantly thinking about calcium vitamin d we're thinking about um plant oils, plenty of fiber, always throwing fiber, fiber, fiber at everybody, focusing on whole grains, pulses, beans, veg. Um, and yeah, and diabetes management. If we've we've recently started a um, data collection as well as management of people that might be newly diagnosed with diabetes, just to support that hopeful hopeful reversal and remission if if that's their goal so just putting more focus on what's going on now and that um checking the midpoint and then seeing where we've we've got to towards the end 
but we don't have the advantage of um, having blood results unless we're going to clinics and and asking for updated blood tests. Yes. Yes, I wanted to ask you about your interaction with other healthcare professionals outside of the food chain. Um, You mentioned that many NHS clinics within the M25 refer patients to you. Um, Are there many HIV centres, specialist centres within London? How many are there that you're aware of? Yeah, there's lots. Um, To count all across London, lots in the north, south, east, west probably 20 or more specialist clinics in London. And that's kind of a concentrated um, level of care compared to the rest of the country, but because we have a higher population of people living with HIV in London compared to the rest of the the country. Um, Yeah, and we receive referrals from pretty much all of those across London. And we have a really good relationship with all of them. from yeah, nurses, psychotherapists, and uh, patient navigators, peer support workers. There's yeah, there's lots of support within the within the sector, and yeah, hence why London being one of the leading cities in the world for HIV care. And in terms of the structure at the food chain, are there other healthcare professionals that you work alongside there? Or is it mainly dietitians and nutritionists at the core of what you do? So we're a small team. There's only 10 on the staff at the food chain. So myself and Lucy Nichols, the other dietitian, we, we do the assessments, like I mentioned, with referrals coming in. We've got Ornella, uh, a nutritionist, who um, is the dietetic support team lead. So organising lots of volunteers to do all of the grocery calls. We're doing hundreds of grocery calls a week. Um, out to to get people their their groceries whilst they're on service with us. We are short-term support during crisis. So people might be on service with us for six months and they'll get a grocery delivery each month whilst they're with us. And so Onella's looking after that. Myself and Lucy managing anything dietetically. People through conversations with other team members or volunteers might be sent back to us for a bit more in-depth um, management of of what's going on with their diet. Sometimes, and actually a lot of it is, is around uh, symptoms and uh, side effects of medication. So I didn't mention the gastro implications. We're often dealing with nausea, diarrhea, constipation. And um, it's actually lovely that the impact that you can have in quite a short time just by going through somebody's diet with a fine tooth comb and yeah helping with their symptoms some some people it has a huge effect on their day-to-day life yes um and in terms of the, the patient load that you're working with at the food chain at any one time do you know roughly how many patients are on your caseload so it went a little bit crazy during covid um Obviously, at the start of the pandemic, lots of our the clinics across London were kind of seconded to COVID wards and helping out with COVID. So they were keen to have their patient group 
as service users supported. So our referral rate went up about four or five fold uh, last spring. So in the peak, we had about 500 people on service. Before COVID, it was running around 150 at any one time. And now I think we're back down to about 250. And on that topic of COVID, did you notice that the pandemic affected how your um, the charity functioned? For example, did you have to work remotely? Were you still able to have um, the contact with the patients that you'd normally have? What impact did it have on your role? Yeah, so actually we we were already kind of telehealth. We were already working predominantly over the telephone with our um, assessments and conversations, but then inviting people in for communal meals and, and cooking classes if they wanted to. So we had that option of face-to-face there. But in, yeah, in terms of um, telehealth, we were already set up for it. So when we had to go to working at home, we were kind of ready to go. And that first weekend we left on the Friday, we were re- ready to go on the Monday. Um, but it's obviously been more difficult not not seeing your colleagues. We're probably also talking to each other on, on Zoom. And it, it's lovely to be back in the office uh, a few days a week now and um, preparing our, our new exciting kitchen. Ah, oh, tell us more about the new kitchen then. What's going to be going on in there? So, yeah, we, we had a, we, we still have actually a kitchen in Acorn House, which is um, Terence Higgins Trust been there for years they've recently moved out sold the building for for development so we're doing a huge move to next door um which is a lovely new kitchen great facilities and we'll, we'll just continue with our communal meals um inviting people in for a lovely lovely healthy lunch um cooked by our wonderful volunteers that come in uh, with with volunteer hosts as well and we do a nutrition talk at those sessions as well. So currently every Wednesday, we do a little nutrition talk on different subjects each week. So I did one on gut health last week, and it's it's great just getting engagement from people face-to-face. And we, we do them on all different subjects, whether it be calcium, protein, and salt, sugar. And yeah, and people get to come out have a chat, meet people, and really, really helping with their isolation and, and mental health. Definitely. And, and as a charity, I, I wonder if you've been impacted financially at all by COVID. For example, have you seen that donations have gone down? Has, has that been an issue for you as a charity? So on the community side, obviously, we weren't able to do what we would normally do, fundraising in in bars or doing dinners and, and things like that. But we were actually lucky on the other side because it was recognised what we were doing was needed. And um, some of the grant bodies actually opened up more, more funds for us. And we're, yeah, we're now in, in quite a good situation, whereas a couple of years ago, we were actually facing quite a financial crisis. So it's, yeah, it's... I know lots of charities have, have had a real hit with finances during COVID, but yeah, we were grateful in in the money that we uh, received. 
That's great to hear. And of course, we will link to the food chain in the show notes as well. So if anyone listening would like to donate or support the charity in any way, um, you'll be able to do that via the link in the show notes. Um, Luke, I wanted to ask you, the food chain was inspired by American organisations. Are there any other similar charities in the UK other than the food chain? In that sense, I think we're quite unique. We don't know of any other organisations in the UK doing what we do. Um, there's lots of amazing HIV organisations doing different um, kinds of support. But with the nutrition and the um, healthcare professional tailored nutrition, we are the only ones in the UK. Gosh, so it just goes to show that, you know, there really is a demand for, for the service that you offer. Um, and... And we do receive, yeah, sometimes we're not only limited to London because there is obviously need around the country. There are HIV dietitians in clinics around the country, but sometimes we get referrals from partnerships in Manchester, George House Trust. We did a partnership. We supported lots of service users in Manchester last year, which was a real pleasure. Um, Cheever Children with HIV Association. Um, sometimes we get referrals from them around the country. And if there's that real real need for support, we're, we're going to take every case as mm. it comes. Do you know what the prevalence is of people living with HIV in the UK at the moment? I know I've put you on the spot there, but do you have a rough, a rough figure to share? So it's around 120,000 in the UK, of which we, yeah, predominantly in London. I think it's about forty to 50,000 in London. Gosh, okay, yes. And in terms of um, future directions for the food chain, do you have anything exciting in the pipeline that you can share with us? I know we talked previously, Luke, about the winter um, fundraising project that you're working on. Is there anything you'd like to tell us a bit more about? So yes, we're, we're always open to people coming and volunteering, come and help in the kitchen or host or come and help fundraise. Um, yes, with donations, we're launching a winter food drive. So people are welcome to donate on that for our winter food drive. Obviously, we're going to, we often see a big spike in referrals in winter and people's need around Christmas and into, into the new year. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes for people to donate or you can welcome to go to our website to check out our any events going on, come and get involved with volunteering and, yeah, donating for wonderful causes. Or if you want to do a, a fundraiser yourself, do a dinner, do a run. We've got the, the Red Run running this weekend, so World AIDS Day always sees the Red Run in uh, Victoria Park organised by Positive East, one of our wonderful partners. And, yeah, there'll be lots of us running around in the cold on, on Saturday morning, raising money for different HIV causes. Sounds brilliant. And I'm sure we'll have lots of eager listeners wanting to get involved. Do you do much with student dietitians? For example, do you take placement students? We do take placement students. And um, currently from... King's College London and London Met. So for their public health placements or 
three weeks at a time. And we do that. COVID's been a bit different. We've, I think we've even done more during COVID because they, they didn't have other options. Um, but yeah, a, a few, three or four times a year, we have, have students in for their placement. And that's a real pleasure to, to supervise students and give them really interesting kind of tasks to do, looking at our nutritional analysis of our recipes or, yeah, thinking about the, the fact sheets that we give to our service users. So if somebody's living with a certain condition, we, we uh, develop some of the BDA fact sheets sometimes to be more um, accessible um, or translated into a different language. And we, we've got a big uh, resource of our own fact sheets getting students to look at those, make sure the evidence is, is up to date and, and the information we're giving is, is up to date. Um, but yeah, and students always end up doing some volunteering or getting involved in the kitchen, getting cooking, hosting. It's lovely having them in. It sounds great. I remember when I was at King's, a few of my friends had placements at the food chain and it oh. sounded sounded incredible. I think we were all quite jealous of their placement opportunity. <laughs> um, you, you just mentioned about having translators. Um, I wondered as an HIV dietitian, what barriers do you find at the food chain in terms of your service users being able to access good nutrition? And what do you do at the food chain to help address this? Um, there's a few areas perhaps we can talk through. I think probably the first one is um, with regards to food insecurity. So, yeah, food insecurity probably being the, the main barrier, food, food insecurity, food poverty. People struggling for different reasons. Um, obviously, there's the, the welfare caps, the reduction in universal credits. Um, people... Now, currently facing lots of evictions after after the COVID um, evictions ban being being ceased. Um, but then we're also working with quite a high caseload of migrants live, uh, with no recourse to public funds, so being housed in hotels or um, whatever accommodation they they might be in, but often without cooking facilities. And then given £39.63 a week to, to live on. So yeah, supporting those people can be can be a challenge, but that's part of the part of the job and part of how we work. And we yeah, often find a way to, to support everybody. And then obviously inviting people in for lunch as well. And then we can have that chat further and, and discuss and figure out better management um, and then lots of lots of families as well during covid it was mums struggling to feed their children and um, there was the whole thing with marcus rashford and the, the school meals access to school meals access to decent nutrition whilst the the schools were closed over summer yeah what other areas do we see? What about homelessness? Is that an area that, um, you know, often comes up when you're talking with your service users? Yeah, quite often. Um, often related to uh, substance or alcohol dependency, 
people find themselves street homeless, um, but then they might still be in contact with their clinic and the clinic refers them in for our support. So we try and support them however we can. Obviously you can't do a grocery delivery to somebody who's street homeless, but we might be able to talk to the hostel and find a way or even in extreme circumstances, just do vouchers. So send them some vouchers, give them an Oyster card so they can get in for some lunches with us. Just to, yeah, so they can get any kind of nutrition. Um, in terms of the meals that you mentioned, the communal meals where people actually come to your building and, and share a meal that's prepared by your volunteers, um, I know when we chatted before, Lee, you talked about the food chain being really big on food hygiene practices. Can you tell us a bit more about that and, and the rationale behind why you have to be so careful when it comes to food hygiene? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier with um, people living with HIV might have a low CD4 count, a detectable viral load. Um, just because of the maybe a late diagnosis or um, an interruption in, in medication adherence. So, yeah, instead of individualising it, we just make it very hygienic and safe for everybody. Um, every, all of our staff and volunteers have done the uh, Level 2 Food and Hygiene Safety Certificate for catering. Um, and yeah, we just we just run through it everything every time people are in. We do do a chat introduction every every morning when volunteers are in, just to go through the the basics. Um, we, we keep really good records, like like a normal catering um, kitchen would do in in industry. And are you are you still in the kitchen yourself, Luke? Do you sometimes help to prepare the meals, or less so now that you're working as a dietitian? Yeah, so we we get involved, especially with the with the recipes, tweaking the recipes, thinking what's what's best for for people's health, and um, if a talk is related to the the meal for the day, thinking about how it how it relates and what ingredients we can get in there. Um, so that's that's our thing. Um, I haven't cooked in the kitchen for a while like I was as a volunteer. Um, but yeah, lots of our staff are very keen bakers as well as our volunteers. I just did a um, evening, a Sunday evening. Me and my colleague Anna worked at uh, an event from ACT UP. So ACT UP being the organisation that's been around from the early 80s trying to get um, access to um, antiretrovirals for people in the early pandemic and have been going ever since. Um, so it was a pleasure to be there, but we took along four or five volunteers with us and we provided the, the food for the evening and salad, savouries and lots of lovely healthy cakes and desserts. Um, and yeah, all prepared by staff and volunteers. It sounds delicious, making me hungry. Um, I wanted to ask, do you cater to lots of different dietary preferences? For example, if you have a vegan or a vegetarian or someone who needs halal meals, 
how do you being quite a small charity how do you manage different food preferences yeah really good question we have a, a lot of people who are halal um always during our communal meals as a kind of halal option vegetarian option um seeing more and more people going vegan as well so yeah just catering for anyone's anyone's preference that's out there um but yeah with with service user groups um i mentioned the uh, migrants and people that have come from sub-saharan africa or even saharan africa um with the preference for no pork or halal diets so we yeah we definitely cater to everybody that's that's brilliant and i guess that's the beauty of being in london as well you know you've got so much diversity there and, and as a team i imagine you're very well equipped to cater the meals accordingly yeah and using the expertise of our volunteers they're, they're all amazing cooks and bakers and yeah lots of experience it, we haven't touched upon nutrition support. We've talked a lot about um, redu- helping to reduce disease risk, for example, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease. But is there a role for providing nutrition support to your patient group? Is that something that you find yourself doing in your role much? Yeah, we do. We kind of get the two ends of the of the spectrum. Um, yeah, HIV historically was more related to malnutrition and and people losing weight, um, but we we still do that. I, I guess specifically more with the substance and alcohol dependency that we that we mentioned, um, but also with just with aging and and the and the frailty that um, comes with it with the earlier onset frailty with HIV. Um, we see BMIs down to about thirteen occasionally. And yeah, sometimes if somebody's been non-adherent to medication or late diagnosed, so there's yeah, we do very often work with food food first approaches, so nutrition support, and having that benefit of providing the groceries, we can we can load that basket full of high energy foods, and and really support them that way. Yeah, it sounds like the food first approach is, is really at the heart of what you do. And I'm sure lots of our dietitians listening will really resonate with that, with their own clinical practice too. Um, just as we come to the end of this episode, Luke, I wanted to ask you, um, what do you think are the biggest misconceptions about your role as an HIV dietitian or indeed the role of nutrition in HIV? Great question. So, yeah, I, I guess lots of people... Might, might think that people living with HIV have no no problems these days. And like I said earlier, for most of the population, that, that is the case. Um, and just with regular checkups can keep an eye on their blood glucose or cholesterol levels. Um, but with a smaller service user group, um, that's that's often not the case. So we we do get the, the vulnerable people and that 5% of the population that we need to support a little bit more, um, whether there's non-adherence to medications or just stigma having a huge impact on people's mental health. 
and then that in turn having a, a an impact on on overall health. Do you think that um, there are enough dietitians working in this area? It, I know you're a member of the BDA HIV specialist group. Um, is there a good support network out there of other dietitians working in this area? Yeah, we've got an amazing group at DIVA, the dietitians in HIV, uh, the specialist BDA group. Um, and our clinical supervision comes from um, Alistair Duncan, um, is a lecturer at King's and a dietitian, specialist HIV dietitian at Guy's and St. Thomas's. And um, so, yeah, having his clinical supervision is amazing. Um, and then having the, the wider group, and we've got about 40, 40 members around the country from every country, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, um, lots of Manchester, Liverpool, and Ireland. Um, so... We're a wide group with lots of expertise, so it's good to, to have them around to, to bounce ideas off. Definitely. And of course, if anybody is listening who's interested in learning more about this area, are there any resources or papers or websites that you would recommend people go to if they would like to find out more about nutrition and HIV? So a good starting point is always the... Um, HIV chapter in the Manual of um, Dietetics. Um, and then the British HIV Association has lots of resources on, on their website. Uh, we're in the process of uh, developing our DIVA PDA page with, with more resources on it. Uh, but then there's studies like the um, Positive Voices study of uh, it was a nationwide survey of people living with HIV um, and looking at the impacts on their overall well-being from every uh, every aspect of life, social, health, diet. Sorry. Brilliant. A really good overview of everything going on with, um, with HIV in the country at the moment. And then a, a good study, I guess, I would um, also recommend uh, um, the Hagen et al. Um, thinking about the, the effect of um, body weight and fat distribution and metabolism with uh, HIV medications and HIV itself. Great. And ha hopefully we can link to those in the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, my final question to you, Luke, is if people would like to find out more or get involved with the food chain, what's the best way to go about doing this? So find us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram. Keep up to date with events that way. Um, also on the, on the website, there's all the opportunities there for, for volunteering, donating, and, yes, getting involved with our upcoming winter food drive. Luke, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your valuable experience of working at the food chain with us. Luke's social media handles will be linked in the show notes for you to take a look at, along with the food chain information that we mentioned in the episode. A huge thank you to New Outra, who made this podcast possible. Remember, if you enjoy listening to The Dietitian Cafe, you can consider subscribing or leaving a review or five-star rating so that we can reach even more healthcare professionals. 
You can also follow New Outra on social media at New Outra across all social platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and to hear the latest updates on medical nutrition. Thank you for listening and our next episode of Dietitian Cafe will be coming very soon.